when someone comes to sign up or log in, you know, there's a very specific task. Like you were, you had one job you wanted to perform and that was to watch your show, right? So um, anything that gets in the way of that is is going to cause some of that irritation that you mentioned when referring to Clippy. So onboarding can obviously be very effective um, when you keep the goals of of the user in mind. I'm Chase Clemens. Welcome back to the Support Ops Hangout. This is the show that helps you deliver a better support experience to your customers. Now, uh, Chase Livingston is out for a bit, off on some grand adventure, um, living it up, being his best self, all that good stuff. So panel-wise, crew-wise for this week, we've got Carolyn from Buffer. How are things? Things are great. Thanks. Okay. That's great. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have any like news or crazy updates. It's just, you know, having a good week. Yeah, I was waiting for it and I was like, nope, nothing coming. We're just, nope. it's great. Nope. It's great. Like Tony the Tiger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeff from Wistia. How are you? It's great. <laughs> cool. Cool. That's, uh, that's how we're going to be this week. That's cool. <laughs> And then uh, taking Chase's spot this week is uh, Chris from Wildbit. How are you? Good. It is great. A <laughs> <laughs> little, little trip up there. There we go. Uh, so for folks that don't know you, give us the rundown. Who are you? My name is Chris Bowler. I work for the team at Wildbit. Um, have been in SaaS doing support and success for, oh, I don't know, the last five years, something like that. So had a blessing of working for some amazing teams, uh, Campaign Monitor, Envision, and now Wildbit. Nice. Yeah. So this week, um, yeah, so when I was writing up the prompt for this, the first thing that popped in my head was Clippy. You remember Clippy, right? <laughs> a little like yes. Microsoft thing. It's so oh, fun. Yeah. Um, yet, kind of irritating assistant just a little bit uh since then i don't even know if microsoft still uses clippy if not it should be like a hidden trick or something to get I bet access it to it i bet it's an easter egg <laughs> uh so since then onboarding tools and wizards have come a long way there's all sorts of different guided setups tours all sorts of this this automated in app boarding uh, onboarding that happens with uh, with products nowadays. So we want to talk about it a little bit, talk about uh, how effective those are. Um, and I guess, Chris, that's what we're, we'll give you the first shot at this one. Um, it, it seems no pressure. like, yeah, no pressure, none at all. <laughs> um, it, it seems like, I mean, like I was thinking back through earlier today about all the different uh, um, SaaS apps that I've signed up for in the last couple of weeks. And, and all of them have some kind of onboarding, like, do you understand this? Did you know you could do this? Let's go over here so you can do this. Like it's always like step by step. Even like the most frustrating one happened last night with Hulu. Hulu switched over their like UI and everything else. So they give you this brand new guided tour and force you through it. Mm-hmm. And like here I was sitting there like all I want to do is watch community. And now I have to answer like 15 questions about what movies and TV shows I like. <laughs> Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's doing it. But what do you think? Is it effective? Ooh, that's such a good question. Um, I would say yes and no. I've seen good good experiences. Um, when it comes to onboarding, like I think our team, we're, we're really hesitant to do anything in-app um, because when someone comes to sign up or log in, you know, there's a very specific task. Like you, were, you had one job you wanted to perform and that was to watch your show, right? So um, anything that gets in the way of that is, is going to cause some of that irritation that you mentioned when referring to Clippy. So 
onboarding can obviously be very effective um, when you keep the goals of of the user in mind. So um, I'm a big believer in in having that jobs to be done mentality and making sure that your onboarding isn't getting in the way of that. So um, I think when you when you sort of set the the stage for the show, to me it was about this idea of guided tours as opposed to other forms of onboarding. Um, so I, I was kind of thinking of that in that frame of reference, but um, I'm a big fan of, of good onboarding. It's just a matter of, of designing that so that it actually is good. Yeah, so what does that look like at, at Wildbit right now with, um, you know, you mentioned having it outside of the app. What kind of guided setup is happening? It's a really good and question. How? Like I'm guessing email maybe? Yeah, well, we're, we're a different team because we're a small team, but we have four products, um, well, three that are, that are live and, and up and running and one on the way. So each one's a little different. But for the most part, historically, we've been more focused on the email um, method of, of delivering whatever information we think is going to make that, that new user successful. Um, Postmark is, is our transactional email software, our platform, and it is um, got a little bit of both. So there's some um, in-app onboarding. Um, and we tend to use that as you know something that's custom designed part of the app rather than using you know some of these newer flavors of tools that are available today. Um, but yeah, it's a combination. So the first few steps, you you have to do a few things in order to actually send that first email. So we try to guide the brand new user uh, through that right when they sign up the first time. Um, but apart from that, historically we've been really focused on delivering the right information through email. Uh, Jeff, Chris makes a, a good distinction there between things like steps that you absolutely have to do to start using the product versus things that are kind of optional. So like, I guess we'll stick with Hulu because my beef was, was with them last night. Like, did I really need to go up and set up my, my profile about which like comedies I like? No, like I, I don't have to do that versus something like um, if this is my very first time in the app and, and I need to like pick a show, like those, those steps are going to be a little bit different. So when it comes to Wistia, like is that distinction a good one to keep in mind? I, I think I liked what Chris was saying about you want to make the onboarding good, no matter what type it is. And so I guess my argument for that is, okay, so uh, we want to make the search experience better, or maybe people are reaching out and saying the navigation is difficult. How can we get more people to fill out their profile? So we're showing them the best shows, right? We're competing with Netflix in this example, and we want to show, we want people to come in and feel like they're seeing exactly the right shows when they log in. Well, maybe a good time to do that instead of when they first try to use Hulu for the first time is when they go to the search. Maybe they go to search and there's something like, Hey, like set up your profile now and never have to search for a show again. We'll recommend the best shows for you or something like that. Um, thinking, I, I think that the, the sort of the most basic or the most obvious solution to the problem is just force them to do it. Just make them do it up front and at least it's done, right? And like the, the team that does uh, account profile and search setup probably feels great because there's 100% participation. Yeah, exactly. Such a high percentage of people are going through the steps. Like, man, if they actually are talking to people, they're like, oh, the amount of work I have to go through to get my Hulu set up is so much higher now. I kind of just want to veg on my couch rather than watching Hulu. I don't even want to use this thing. Uh, so we've, we've always felt like don't make anyone do any work that doesn't get them closer to their goal. Um, and when someone's first setting up their, the, the account, the first turning on Hulu for the first time, I, I don't think it's, 
you know, setting up your account is not your goal. Probably watching some sort of TV is your goal. So let, let them do that and then let them figure it out. Maybe it's the next time they come in, you give them an option or something like that. The forced, forced tour, that don't even get me started on that. It sounds like a horrible idea. I hate it. But um, <laughs> when you set metrics around this stuff, like 100% participation, this is the way to get it. <laughs> <laughs> this is obviously the clear A-B test winner. I mean, come on. Uh, there's uh, so one company I've seen done it really that did it really well was Intercom, uh, and it's been a minute since I've used Intercom, but uh, probably about a year or so. But when I did use it, one of the hard stops in there kind of got it set up was like you've got to install this code on your website to bring the the messaging modal whatever over into it. Like you can't do anything else until that happens. So the guided tour that they had funneled you through that um, and and kind of made a big deal about it. But even then, they were like, they kind of gave you an out. They said, it was something like a link at the bottom was like, do we need to email this to a programmer? Do we need to email this to your IT guy or whatever? Um, click here to send that email. And then you like move on to the next step. So even like you were forced to go through this, but you still had an out, which was really clever, I thought. Um, Carolyn, when it comes to Buffer, you know, there are a couple of things, again, that you've got to do to, to kind of get going and then yeah to get going with with buffer but i guess that happens kind of on the the like actual sign up because like linking a twitter account in like i think it's been a while since i signed up for buffer but it's like you sign in with twitter right so it's like that problem's already taken care of you can um sometimes you sign up using your email address so yeah so buffer's a really good example of one of those companies that like you can't get your thing done unless you do this process. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have experimented a lot with forcing people to choose an account to connect during the onboarding process or not and setting at, or inviting them to just like plop into this worthless dashboard that has the very clear call to action to connect a profile, but like not necessarily force you through that. Um, and yeah, it just depends on exactly to the like joke of 100% participation. We, um, we have found that it kind of depends on what you measure. Um, if your goal is to get as many signups as possible, of course, it's better to not make people do anything. If your goal is to have, if your goal is activation rate, then it's better to make people do it and let people fall off if, um, you know, and, and, and not count those people as signups. Um, so yeah, we've played with both. Um, similar to what Chris said, we also use intercom and email drip campaigns heavily to encourage people to go through certain steps in order to get the most out of the tool. Um, we're also a B2B company though. So generally when people are, are signing up for buffer, they have like a very, specific need. Um, and you know, business customers are, are pretty comfortable to, to go through that cause they've usually done a lot of research on the front end. Um, so, um, yeah, we see it, different types of customers have different tolerance for that. Like a free customer who's in, more interested in just poking around and see what this is, seeing what this is all about is more likely to drop off, um, during that process. Whereas a customer who comes in through the business trial is more likely to do it. Um, the other thing I was going to add is I always thought that 
um, and again, this similar to what you said, this has been like a long time since I've signed up for Dropbox, but I was going to say that I thought Dropbox was an example of this done well. Um, because not only can you revisit it at any time, that like progress bar thing that they do and just playing to the mentality and the psychology of getting something for doing that, as opposed to like, well, of course you're getting something for it. You're like getting to use the tool, like the difference between that and, but you get free stuff at the end of it is so much more enjoyable as a human <laughs> that, um, I always thought that that was so clever. Like, yeah, they give you an extra, like, 0.1 gigs or something like that. It's like so small, but it's so satisfying when you get it. So that's another way to think about it. Dropbox is one of the few apps out there that have completed the setup from start to finish because of that exact reason. It's like, oh, yeah. but I get another half gig of storage if I do that. <laughs> yeah. And the like, and the perfectionist tendencies in all of us, like we see that 80% completion bar and we're like, but if I just do the thing, it'll say I get a gold star. <laughs> So, so effective. Is it Chris, okay. Carolyn pointed out one thing Jeff that... Jeff is talking, but he's muted. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you want to reply to that, Jeff? Oh, I was You're muted. so dark. <laughs> like, there's no light in the room that we couldn't see anything. I know, sorry. Um, I was going to say that right after I finished that, completing that bar and got, like, the two gigs that they give you <laughs> for doing that, I then paid for 99 terabytes. <laughs> like, right after that, right? Like, they totally get you hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Um, Chase, take this wherever you were going to, but one thing I think we should talk about that came up while um, Carolyn was giving her answer was to what extent should you A-B test and experiment your way to uh, an onboarding flow of your dreams? And to what extent should you let perspective and vision drive because incentives can have such an impact? Like, yeah, I... I think I've seen both approaches and really it's probably a hybrid or like a balance that's the best, but it's really hard to say it from the, from the get go without talking when we, you don't have anything concrete to talk about. It's hard to pick which of the, the two approaches you're going to take. Got it. Um, let me circle to that one because the, the one so Chris Carolyn mentioned there that um, there's a difference when it's a business that's doing this. Um, usually those businesses are going to bring on other people uh, to, to use the app too. So mm. when we're doing these guided setups, when we're doing these tours, how much of it should be aimed at, at the, uh, the account owner for lack of a better word, like the person that, that is signing up the, the, the CEO or founder or whatever, like that owner type person versus like the rest of the team too. That's a that's a great question. <clears throat> I was just thinking about that in terms of intercom because we just started using that for our fourth product that we're working on. Um, and as the account owner, there's a steps there that I wanted to take that I don't really need everyone else seeing. So I think, um, <clears throat> you know, that persona is so important for the for the onboarding um, to make it as as effective as possible. So for my team, when they were coming on, uh, say if it's a developer, they have a very specific set of tasks that they need to do for setting up our intercom account, um, whereas our customer success team would be very different. So I think it makes sense to, uh, depending on the app, of course, but if the account owner has a, a list of things they need to get done to allow that team to work, then yeah, I think it makes sense to keep that visible only to them. Um, and I think that's really important that just a, something that you touched on already is, is making it um, optional any kind of guided tour that's mandatory is just going to drive people crazy. So um, in a situation like that, even if there are steps uh, that need to be taken before you can actually fully utilize the product, I still think that's something that you 
should be able to exit out of back out of for a period of time so that you can explore other things that are possible in the app um, before you actually take that step. But to the, answer your question directly, I think those, those things should be as much as possible only visible and focused to the person who actually needs to take those, those actions. So just to touch on another topic, that whole, uh, what do you make a mandatory time of signup is such an important thing. And I know for a lot of products, we just want to get as many people signed up as, as possible. So you want to reduce that friction to the absolute minimum. Um, but I really love supporting a product where we know there's an ideal user and we don't actually want everyone. And I want to ask some questions up front because the, the more information I can get about someone, the better I'm able to guide them in the right direction, depending on what the actual job is they need to do. So um, I'm a big believer in, in actually putting a little bit more friction in the signup process. Um, and in this case, um, that would be useful to know who's, who is the person that actually is going to set this account up and who needs to see what information. Yeah, that's see. And there's the tie in Jeff that I was looking for. <laughs> um, one of the things that, that we've done at Basecamp, um, So we're big believers in the jobs to be done kind of approach like Chris mentioned earlier with, uh, with Wildbit. Last, I don't know, May, April, May, something like that. Ryan and I worked on, uh, for about a week, week and a half, we worked on um, doing these interviews uh, around the jobs to be done uh, idea, got the customer interviews that we needed, and then spent the better part of the summer working through and identifying the four different kind of ideal customers that Basecamp has, the four different jobs that, that people hire Basecamp for. And one of the things we were really interested in was, well, if we can identify who you are at the beginning of the trial, at the beginning of the onboarding, and match you with one of those jobs, then can we better target like the advice that we're giving you, the tips that we're giving you? Um, because somebody that does job number one might need X tool, while somebody that is doing job number two doesn't need that tool in any way, shape, or form. So why should they even know about it? So what we did was introduce as part of the the kind of setup flow for new accounts was we asked you a couple of questions. Um, you know, what brought you to Basecamp? Was it A, B, C, or D? What are you hoping to get from Basecamp? Is it A, B, C, or D? And from that, we were able to see kind of where people were slotting into those four jobs. Now, the A, B test part of it uh, in us was, you know, we know we've got this gut feeling, we've got this vision that this is right, that people need to go through this, but we wanted to make sure we didn't tank um, like actual completing of the trial at that point. So that was an A-B test that we did. We um, put uh, like, a, I, like a couple of thousand accounts through it or something like that um, and found that um, that actual trial completion dropped a little bit, but that was made up for, in, uh, one, having the knowledge that we do about these groups, and then two, uh, conversion was a little bit better out of that. So... Um, I think that's a good example of we have this this vision uh, of what we want to do with a setup. We're not entirely sold on like we don't want to do this and then tank everything. So let's just maybe test it and see what happens um, to make sure that the data is good with it. What what is the, the is that good, <laughs> Jeff? Like I I, I can't read your facial expressions. I'm sorry. It's just so tricky to do that. Like, sorry. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna interrupt here and say like. We, we had, we did that as well. And we have had such limited success with it because we've tried to put customers into self-identified boxes and like 
it's so tricky. So I'm, I'm interested to hear that it worked for you. Um, because yeah, we've had, we've said like, are you, are you an agency or are you an organization? Like even at the most fundamental level, are you doing social media on behalf of yourself or someone else? Um, and just that like persona thing so often for us at least has like fallen apart and we haven't found it to be quite right. Well, we, I mean, we've used intercom and intercom carved their whole product up based on the jobs to be done framework. Um, and on one hand we were like super confused, which of these jobs means what, and like what product do we need? And you can't really tell what product you have. And yet at the same time, uh, they seem to be doing very well. Um, and they seem to be attracting at, at their size companies that probably wouldn't have chosen, maybe wouldn't have chosen them otherwise. Like that, I guess what I'm saying is there's certainly something to it uh, and there's almost no way to, to rewind to when they were, you know, only had a hundred customers and try it the other way instead. Uh, so I, I guess my, my point from before and, and Chase, maybe you can add on more to this is like Ryan uh, and maybe to a certain extent, some of the other people at Basecamp come in with a very clear perspective, which is jobs to be done research and uh, the framework creates better software that's aimed at customers and, you know, pinpoints their problem uh, and looks to solve it. So they choose us because we solved the problem. Um, and I feel like he would go with that approach, even if it meant that Basecamp didn't grow like a weed. Like even if uh, it didn't impact the growth numbers, he would still go that direction because that's his belief. True? Untrue? I... So I can't speak for Ryan. <laughs> you know, he's our, our jobs to be done guy, basically, for, for this. I would say that if we're talking a little bit of conversion, if we're talking a little bit, like half a percent, percent, whatever, that we lose, but in the long run, we're better able to identify what types of customers are buying Basecamp and then make sure that they get the most out of it. Yeah, that's worth the trade-off. If we're talking like we take a 10% hit, no. Like obviously something is wrong with that, that approach at that moment. Like maybe jobs to be done at that point is great in theory, just didn't really work out in practice for us. Now, thankfully for us, like we've used it to make some big, big decisions where, you know, so uh, um, one of the big changes that we made with it was we dropped our lowest $29 a month package and went with just one package. Everyone pays either $99 a month or $1,000 a year. And that's it. Like there, there's no other choice around that. And when we did it, yeah, we lost like a third or something like that of uh, trial signups, but we're not like, we don't care about signups anyways, because we're more, con more interested in that conversion, actually buying Basecamp in the back end that, um, that Karen was talking about. So it was what we were measuring at that point. So even though signups grew slower than they were before, the money that we were making from it was better and it let us stay as a small company, which meant that we didn't have to hire on a bunch of, in our case, like support people to support all of these new people. So I think there's that, you know, yeah, if your gut's, like if your gut's telling you to go direction, one direction and you're talking like just small percentage variations in the A-B test, yeah, like that's cool. But if we're talking like a 10% tank, like, mm, no, like don't, don't listen to your gut at that point. Can I take us off this topic for a second and plus one, something that you just said. So I think that, that you just touched on it and Chris touched on it earlier, which is like sort of the not always considered cost of 
having more signups. And like, that is a really, really important exercise when you're deciding between those two options that Jeff proposed, which is, um, you know, A-B test our way into oblivion or like be thoughtful about it, which I guess is like, I'm betraying what I think is the best way to go there. By the way, I just described those two options, but um, like the, yes, you definitely may increase some local maximum or reach some local maximum by AB testing. Um, but yes, if you get 25% more signups, but your ink, your actual like MRR increases by significantly less than that percentage, then all those people are going to be canceling. They're going to be asking for refunds. They're going to be asking support questions. They're going to be, you know, you have to pay for the server costs for those customers. Like there's a whole lot. Um, I guess that, that is sort of, that particular example is assuming a freemium model, but um, I mean, there's other examples of, of costs of people who either, even if they are paying you money, are not the right customer. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah, yeah Chase, in the contrived uh, example I made up, I was talking about like zero lift, not zero, not, not 10% tank. I mean, you know, in an A-B test, you're normally looking for one thing to really outperform the other. Like, it's got to crush it. I think in Ryan's world, sorry to speak for Ryan, but in Ryan's world, it certainly seems like it doesn't really matter whether it gives us a lift. This is just the route that we're going. And as long as I don't do damage to the company, still speaking for Ryan, um, <laughs> this is the route I think I think is the most effective for us in the long term. Um, and I just think that that's very different than a growth team that's like, we're A-B testing this unless the new option crushes the old option we're sticking with the old option that's also kind of a cultural question yeah it is and so i can speak for me now um yeah i would take the like is this the right thing to do even though it doesn't give us any lift whatsoever we do the a b test no no significant difference one way or the other i'd still do it I still would go with what the vision I have because that tells me at least one, I'm not hurting anything. And two, I think this is better overall. I think that this is going to get us um, the, what do you want to call it? The, like the benefits of that approach are going to outweigh the, well, let's not do anything, even though it doesn't do plus or minus. Um, so yeah, I think I would still go with that jobs to be done vision and, and just do it. Um, I, again, for me personally, it's like, even with support stuff, like there are things that we all do uh, as, uh, support teams that don't really have a positive influence on conversion, but it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt the team. Um, I think about like the, uh, like the white glove onboarding services that are really popular now. Like Basecamp experimented with that, didn't move the needle and in, in one way, shape or form. But for the customers that wanted it, it was a really nice thing to offer. So we were like, yeah, we're just going to offer that because it's just like Carolyn mentioned, it's cultural. It's, it's who we are. Chris, what's, been your experience over at Wildbit with all this? Well, just one thing that has come to mind while you guys are talking about this is when I think of jobs to be done, I don't really think of it as a design. Well, I shouldn't say that. It is a design tool, but I think of it more as, as a discovery tool. So just uh, there was some one thing that you you touched on where it kind of you, you worded in this sense where I wouldn't, I'm not sure if I would jobs to be done this. Um, I think of it in terms of I, it's always good to go through that exercise to get a better understanding whether you decide to implement something from that or not, um, or how you imp, you know choose to to make a, some kind of a solution. Um, I think that the exercise is always useful. Um, any kind of exercise where you're actually spending time talking to users is 
is a, a good use of time in my mind. So that was just something that came, came to my mind. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> we don't do it enough. And this just, no matter what you get into all these things, onboarding is a great example. You could just, you can strategize forever, but it's never going to replace just actually talking to people. And I love jobs to be done because the focus is on, you know, recent conversions or signups and recent cancellations. And those are the, you just have amazing conversations when you do that. Yeah. Like, like my experience with Hulu last night would have been completely different if at the end of all that, they would have been like, Hey, was this helpful or not? And if you said no, then like somebody like actually asked, well, Chase, why was it not helpful? Like, let's have a conversation about that. That would have like completely turned that entire experience around at that point. Absolutely. Um, and it's for you. Yeah, for me. Well, That's because say, you're like a product software <laughs> Other people would be like, yeah. I don't want to spend like... <laughs> yeah, my wife is that, that way. She was like, why are you even like, just just forget about it. It's no big deal. <laughs> but it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but not bad enough that I actually wrote an email about it. That's the interesting part. <laughs> um, but it is something, so like to bring it back around, like when we release new features... Um, and we've only started doing this the last couple of weeks when we release new features and people write in and say like, Hey, this is not working for me. Or even if they say, Hey, like this is great, whatever. We're more inclined now to, to pick up the phone and get on the call with them and actually talk about like, what is better about this? What is worse about this? Like how are things changed around this? Because like you, like you said, Chris, that, that conversation is just so useful when you bring it back to the team to, to make tweaks and things. And, like to tie it back into the guided setup and all that in general, like that should be something. So like one of the things that we did when we did the, uh, the jobs to be done kind of onboarding at the very beginning was we asked you, the first question was what brought you to Basecamp? The second question was, what do you hope to do with Basecamp? And the third question was, we took those first two and we slotted you into the job that we thought you were. And there was a yes, that's close enough option or there, there was a no, that's not right option. And the no option has the like, tell us how like we missed on this. And from there we were able to say, Oh, like we totally missed on this person. Like we need to follow up and find out what's going on. And you start that conversation with them. So when you do these onboarded setups, have an out, like, like if you're doing something with the onboarded setup that you don't think is going to be popular, like just give them an out to talk to somebody and, and, and start that conversation. Because again, like Chris pointed out, like it's just really helpful. Great. It's great advice. Yep. I think any kind of onboarding, no matter what uh, mechanism you use, whether it's guided tours or or email or in-app messaging, I always want to give them the option to have a conversation at some point. And you're, you know, you might not get a lot of response, but I always want to give, give the opportunity. Jeff, do we tackle the AB testing? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I wanted to circle around and make sure we get your answer on that one. Yeah, definitely. That was a great combo. How is it with Wistia? Is it, you know, what, what kind of mindset is there there? If it's, so let me ask you the, the same question. Like if there's no lift from, from that, but your gut says it's the right thing. What, what does Jeff, the product manager do? What do I do? Yeah. I mean, what I do is separate from, I can speak for myself, but what I do is <laughs> what we've done as a company. Um, because I'd say we've struggled through both of those options. One being, uh, do we want to take a real growth, team approach to it and AB test things? Um, or do we want to go blank slate on it? And each time we kind of revamp the whole experience based on 
new things we've learned, new perspective, maybe a change in the market or the value prop. Um, I, I feel like out of context, it's really hard to make a decision from afar. That's why I was really interested to talk about it is uh, in some cases, I think a local maximum to Carolyn's point is a really good approach, right? The company's made a decision. I'm sure whenever you launch a new version of Basecamp, you start a bit from scratch. You start over with first principles of like, what does Basecamp do? Who does it do it for? Who should we be talking to? Do we still want to do animated or do we want to go real people now, you know, change it all up? And then once that's released, maybe a few members of the team are like, hey, this part of it could be better or that part could be better. And maybe you do a little bit of testing on those steps, but it's not a tackle the whole thing and AB test your way to success, right? Maybe there's like no good way to do that. And the whole team ends up getting thrown into confusion, uh, complexity, hell over something like that. That, I mean, that, it just feels like it would take such a large team to start over from scratch each time, you know, And, and maybe when you're in growth mindset, that that's what you want. Maybe that's, like you mentioned earlier, it's forcing people into that, that particular route. And that's just, that's where we're going, that that's just what we're doing. And we accept all the consequences of that. Um, I would just say, man, that like starting over from scratch each time when you're doing these kind of experiments, it's just a lot versus like, you know, we've got this, we'll say Clippy, we've got Clippy now talking you through how to set up base camp. Uh, he's not doing great. He's not hurting anything we'll like keep going down this as far as we can and just kind of AB test. Maybe it's, maybe it should not be a paperclip. Maybe it should be a wizard and a like star and moon gown thing. Remember that? That was really cool. (laughs) Um, Maybe, maybe that's what it should be. Like, I think like you just, it's hard to, to start over from scratch every time. I, I think think you have to be on guard for it. I think different, people and different teams will approach that problem differently. Some teams are like more focused on the short term. And so they'll be very focused on, well, let's just get some tests out there or let's just change this thing. You know, forget the tests. Almost just ruined our, our child friendly atmosphere. Um, forget the test. And uh, let's just get that change out there real quick. And other teams will say, you know, it's like a, it's just like anything else. It's a hedonistic treadmill. People are like, well, we already shipped that big change. Now let's get started on the next big change. You know, Mm -hmm. we made so many, we've learned so many things. We should make this so much better. There's like a new framework. Let's do it in that thing. Um, And I think that that's like the job of the, the editor, the, the product manager or the leader, depending on the size of the team to say like, Hey, which mode are we in right now? Um, And I think that applies to every step of that, the, you know, the onboarding, process is like where are we at right now with this um when was the last time we updated this uh what were some of uh, the things we, we came to the table the the hypotheses we had for how this would do it's just all you got to have that context um i love how Basecamp does it where they keep it all together in one document because otherwise when it gets starts to get uh forgotten uh because it took so long to finish that project people are like Oh man, forget that. Like on the day of shipping, they're like, Oh, let's update it. Let's make it new. (laughs) I think that's so. I mean, you can't have your cake and eat it too a little bit. Um, and Chris and Carolyn, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but, um, like you can, you can ship AP tests that are subtle changes while at the same time be working on the big stuff. That's going to take you six Mm -hmm. weeks to do. Um, I think about like Jonah. So like with our, with our onboarding conversion team, it's, uh, 
Jonas is the lead designer on it. And usually he has like one, maybe two other programmers working with him at any given time. There are some of the, the AB tests that we do that's literally like we are changing from a nine to a zero to see what effect like going from $99 to $100 has, which for us, conversions went down. So stick with nines. Um, but then he's also working on other bigger projects that are like a, like we were talking about the, the guy that set up earlier with the jobs to be done survey. Like that was a big other thing that he was working on. Um, so I, I think you can do both. And I think it makes sense that you, you kind of have to do both um, at times um, as a product matures, you know, Jeff listed a bunch of good questions there, but another one is how has our product changed since we launched this big thing, however far back. So um, I think naturally it just makes sense after a while to maybe revisit the whole big picture. And, and maybe sometimes you do decide to, to take, even though it is a big initiative and it's going to be a lot of work, um, you need to start from scratch because your product has changed and maybe the, the customers that you're targeting or the customers that you're serving have, have changed as well. Um, but at the same time, you know, you want to create your onboarding materials, uh, your path, your logic, your strategy in such a way that you can always be constantly improving it and tweaking it. So that's where for me, it comes down to, uh, the best apps, the apps I enjoy the most are the ones that are designed really well so that the onboarding is, is a bit of a natural part of the design of the app itself. Um, but at the same time, I want to have some tools as a customer success professional where I don't have to always go to a developer or designer to make some changes. So I appreciate, you know, in 2017, we have a lot of these amazing tools available where when we've got an idea, we can just go and run with it rather than having to uh, bring everybody off of the focus that they're on um, we're a small team. I'm speaking as a small team here. We don't have dedicated onboarding <laughs> developers and things like that. But um, as a small team, uh, I'm always cognizant of, am I interrupting our developers and designers because they are working on the product itself? Yeah. And I know too, at, at smaller, like when you're, when you're a startup, small biz and all that fun stuff, like a 1% difference in onboarding can be like next month's rent. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be a little different. Like Jeff mentioned the, the context there is just going to be a little different. So keep that in mind as always with all these conversations. Yeah, I think, and when in doubt, like sometimes you will have to decide like, who are you as a company? Are you a design culture or are you a growth hacking culture? And um, yeah, I mean, I'd say we similar to the, the things that have been said here, like we are both a design culture and we have a growth team Um, and there's tension there. And sometimes we have to figure that out. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think in extreme cases, you, you can sort of go with identity there and say, you know, this is, this is how we, how we approach these challenges sometimes. Um, And that, that may be um, kind of useful in a way to, to cut out some of that tension. Buffer, it's growth hacking, but with unicorns. <laughs> yeah, the example that I'm thinking of, and this is like a very, very out of date example now, but um, from many years ago, I remember reading about how frustrating it is to be a designer at Google because like they're not interested in your opinion. Like, like please do not tell me that it's that it's more beautiful or that it like makes more intuitive sense. Like prove it with an A-B test and then we'll do it. Um, I will try to find that from the um, history of all the things I've ever read on the internet. Um, 
if I can find that article, but um, that's probably not true anymore. But at least at one point, I think it it was. And but that was really useful at that time. Like, nope, this is how we do things. We, you know, and obviously at that volume, it's a little bit easier to do an A/B test because you have statistically significant results in a matter of hours. But um, yeah. How would you like to be that person that was like, oh yeah, I did a new onboarding setup for uh, Google Apps accounts and it only was like 0.1% of a lot but you know, that's only a couple million dollars. So, right. Yeah, no. right. Yeah. I, yeah. At, at certain volume, AV testing becomes a lot more relevant for sure. A lot easier to sneak in. <laughs> All right. Do we, him, uh, do we miss anything that we need to circle back to? I love the looking faces, like the pondering. Did we? I don't know. I think. Usually this is where Jeff pipes in. He's like, oh, one more thing. I was going to say we should hear more from Chris. Yeah. I do. I'm going to touch on one. We've touched on some examples. I feel like um, when it comes to the tour, like that's a big question these days. And in, in what does good onboarding look like? If you read um, Samuel Hulick, probably familiar with him. He does all the onboarding breakdowns. You know, he's a big uh, opponent of this idea of guided tours. Um, but when I think of like the, the best example of onboarding that I've experienced in the last say five years, Slack was, was that example. And in essence, that's what it was, was a guided tour when you first logged in with the little pop-ups in the different spots in the app. So um, I feel like there's some, you know, divide division there on, on how effective they are. But you guys gave another great example with, with Dropbox. When it is done well and when there's some gratification or gamification happening, I think it can make a lot of sense. So I'm not, I don't know if we really addressed that over, over the, the show here. But um, for me, I'm always wondering, is this the best way to go about it? Um, can I, should I always be acting only on behavior or a time sequence? Or can this sort of guided setup be effective? So. Um, that's something to think about. It's a struggle for me. Yeah. It may also depend on how complicated your experience is and how many choices you have at any given Absolutely. stage as well. What was the app where you like, like yo or something? You like, remember that? Like maybe they didn't need a guided tour. Maybe Slack does because there's a thousand things you can do in Slack. And if any of those thousand things go wrong, then you're like, oh my God, this is horrible. Right. And every new thing, every new one of the thousand things that you learn that you can do in Slack, you're like, wow, I just saved X amount of time on my workflow. So. Yeah. I think that, I think that's exactly right. The context of like, it's your most important app that you always have open. So it doesn't feel so intrusive for them to be like, here's what's new at Slack. I'm like, Oh, actually look at this because I use this as opposed to a product that I signed up for once and I've used once sending me something that's like, here's some like, you know, basically app store type updates. Like we fix some bugs. I'm like, I, I don't care about that. I never even experienced the bug. Uh, so I guess you have to be aware of that. And even if I, as I say that out loud, I'm like, I think we've sent some messages like that. <laughs> yeah. That time. I mean, that's the time part of all this, right? That's the, you sign up and you get X email one day later, five days later. Um, and you can AB test the heck out of those because I know we have like just moving a welcome email back from two minutes to five minutes from five minutes to an hour, like, you know, those kind of things. Um, I guess Chris, like on that point, um, what have y'all found effective at Wildbit? Is, is the time base there really helpful or are you you're looking more for kind of like, Oh, this person did X like that, the behavior. 
Both. Yeah. I'm a big, I like to use both um, timing for sure. I think Jeff touches on an important point where um, if there's a lack of activity, so it's behavioral, but it's easy to focus on the negative behaviors a lot when you have a new sign up. after a while, you, there should be a point where you just stop bugging people, right? Because at some point you're just spamming. So um, behavior, you should always be paying attention to that. I think um, I do think there's still a place for the, the, the timed cadence, um, you know, I think that it's getting poo-pooed these days a little bit um, in terms of in favor of the behavioral stuff. But I still think there's, if you, and again, it depends on your, your app, but maybe that in a sense that is your guided tour. You know, there's a selection of, of emails where you're sending, uh, you know, core information about how people will get the most value from your product. Um, I still think there's a place for that. So I, whenever I'm setting up a brand new um, onboarding flow campaign, I, I go with a mix of both. Yeah, I mean, so especially if you do trials, right? I mean, trials coming up at the end, like you're probably sending some stuff based on that trial end date. Yep, absolutely. Yes, yeah. so for our audio listeners, yes, everyone was nodding. <laughs> I know, I realized that. I was like, I said I did that earlier too. I, I was like, yes, totally. And I realized I was muted. <laughs> it's just like, uh, let the record show. People yeah. were moving their head up and down in an affirmative action. Yeah, the, the challenge of, do, of recording these on video and not showing it. I, we're always doing a lot of enthusiastic head nodding. <laughs> Just imagine that while you're listening. Hey, Jeff, you seem like a behavior kind of guy with these setups. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> in what way? <laughs> I just that's just one of those where I don't know. I mean, we've only been doing the show since 2013, and I don't like claim to know you know you, but you just you know me. Do I know you? Um, <laughs> you've always struck me as the, like, let's... So, early in the show, you were, you... I, I wrote it down because I, I thought it was a good one. You were talking about um, helping the customer work closer to the goal. And if I'm helping the customer work closer to the goal, I, like, at that... When you said it, I kind of envisioned this, like, we're focused on this customer helping them get to their goal. And that just for me translated into, well, we need to like see what the customer's actually doing and then guide them and the setup based on what they're doing versus like just this kind of timed, everybody's the same kind of setup. Yeah. Yeah. I could be completely wrong and you could be like, no, time stuff is the best. No, no. I, I think you're totally right. I, I guess my, my thinking is it depends on complexity. Uh, it depends on who's setting all that stuff up um, because I don't think I've seen, well, I haven't seen the tools yet that let someone on the, um, you know, support team or communication team or however you have it set up at your company. Um, someone besides an engineer set up those kind of cadences and set them up, uh, in a way that makes logical sense. Um, but I, I, I think what, what I took from what Chris said earlier was that, uh, you kind of have to have your, your mind open to both options. Um, and to just use your, you know, try, try things out. Um, but that you should err on the side of don't, don't message people with stuff that's not valuable to them. Everyone signed up for like 400 things at this point and don't, don't, you know, be that app that thinks you're the center of everyone's world if you're not. Um, and for most of us, the truth is we're not, um, um, it's more the thing that lives inside of our products. That's actually the center of people's lives. Like this is getting back to some like super old, old school support op stuff, but like, you know, the projects that live within Basecamp is the center of people's life, not Basecamp itself. You know, and the tweets that I send out that hopefully are witty and get likes are the center of my world, not Buffer itself. 
Uh, and if you keep that in mind, then I think you tend to send people stuff that's more relevant. Um, and then they may choose to opt into things like, I love Buffer. I want to know what the Buffer team is doing because I genuinely care about them. So like, send me more stuff, please. And we have some people like that. It's just not as many as are on our total email list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the, uh, uh, man, the, the name of the app was on the tip of my tongue and I can't remember it now, but it was basically one of those where I think it was, it was either a, a physical app, like training you to run a marathon or something like that, or it was a mental app, but whatever it was, it was like this, this repetition thing. Like you're going to get better if you do this on a regular interval every day. So we're going to send you a reminder at this time every morning. Duolingo. I was just going to say Duolingo. Duolingo? Yeah. Okay, okay. Right, right. <laughs> well, let me finish and make sure this is the right one. But after you don't use it for a while, does it pop up and say, hey, like, we're just going to turn these off because they're not, like, you're, they're obviously not helping? Yeah. It is Duolingo. Okay. Another example of that is like, I, or of like sort of the inverse is that, of that is that I recently opened Headspace again for the first time in a long time. And immediately I got a notification being like, are you meditating again? Like, we'll start sending these to you if you want them. But if you, if this was a fluke, then no big deal. That's cool. Cool. If you accidentally open this. No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't. But I, I, <laughs> full disclosure here. I never successfully meditate with Headspace. It just puts me right to sleep. So now it's my sleeping app. <laughs> <laughs> Not my meditating app. Don't um, tweet at me. I'm sorry. I know everybody else loves it. <laughs> you know, I used it based on Jeff's recommendation and could not get into it. I don't know. I don't know. I, do like to, I like to listen to him. Oh, sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Oh, I just said I do like to listen to him. I can't think of his name, but he's, he's good at what he does. Yes. Very soothing voice. Too soothing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. So that seems like a good spot to wrap things up. Um, let us know how, uh, how you're doing it with your team. You can hit us up. It's hello at supportops.co for the email, or you can uh, at us, come at us. Uh, we're at supportops on Twitter. Thanks, Chris, for being on the show. You rocked it. Um, if folks are looking to find you after the show online or wherever, where was the best spot? Uh, Twitter, Twitter, Chris Bowler, just my name and uh, chrisbowler.com. Check out the team a while bit too. We've got uh, amazing product. You know, just I'm going to, can I add on one little thing that we didn't talk about? Um, I think when we talked about personas, um, I've, I've, so I've worked for several different companies now. Campaign Monitor is a good example where you have, you can have all kinds of people sign up for your product. Um, at Wildbit, we are focused completely on developers. And when it comes to your onboarding, that's just one way that you can really uh, be more effective is just having this smaller, more niche audience, right? So, um, I don't know why I added that on now, but <laughs> a good point. we're making it's it, We make products for developers to make their lives easier. So when you have that goal, I think it just, it helps so much. Mm-hmm. We did the same thing at Basecamp. It was, we went from being this project management for everybody down to like, we are a communication tool for small businesses that boom, that's it right there. Yeah, I love it. Just things get easier. That simplicity. It's, it helps your job for sure. All right. So, uh, yeah, hit us up. Hello at support We're at support on Twitter. 
Um, I was supposed to say something else. Oh, Subconf is in Atlanta, November 6th and 7th. I'm going to be there talking about uh, feature requests, how we handle them at Basecamp. It has a healthy dose of jobs to be done. So if you liked any of that in this episode, uh, show up, heckle me from the back row. It's going to be great. Uh, that's November 6th and 7th. Uh, head over to supportdriven.com to get tickets. I think there's still some tickets left. It's uh, one of the better. No, it's one of the best customer support conferences of the year. So make sure to check that out. Uh, Yeah, that's this. Thanks again for listening. And until we see you again next time, have an awesome week.